Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Pastor Larry Davis. Um, man, I'm glad you're here. My name is Larry. I'm one of the pastors here. We're continuing this conversation um, about um, what we think, uh, which is from this series called Believe. Um, and uh, if you're here today, uh, or if you're listening this week on the internet, um, you're part of this process as uh, we go on this journey to become wholehearted followers of Jesus. And I'm glad that you're um, here with us or here with us this week. Um, there, um, we're, I'm going to cover a lot today. And so um, I'm going to ask, like, hang, hang with me. I've put in some information in your notes. Some of it's going to be on the screen. Um, you can take pictures. If you're going to be online, no online shopping. At the same time, you're going to lose me and you're going to get confused. Um, and so let's go through this. The first thing I want to tell you, though, about first is there is a, a book that we've been giving away that we're actually walking through. Um, and um, I want you to be able to grab this. We want you to be able to have it so much that we're giving it away for free. Um, so if you don't have one of these, um, go pick one up on your way out in the lobby. It's right there to your left. Uh, and take your free copy. So maybe this is your first time with us or first time since we've started this conversation, this series that we're going through, make sure you grab that. I also want to encourage um, you to do this. Go there and pick up another copy for five bucks and go find someone and give it to them and say, hey, will you have a conversation with me about this once a week? Where this is just a great conversation starter about what really do we believe? um, How should we really act? And what are the virtues we should exude uh, around other people? Find somebody that you work with maybe. You can share lunch with once a week. Um, you can trade off buying each other lunch. I don't know how you do it. Um, maybe somebody that you work out with. Maybe a neighbor, um, a, a partner, whoever. Find someone. It's five bucks. Give it to them. They don't even have to come here on the weekends. And at least start the conversation. And maybe that's a way to invite people just to be a part of this conversation. Cool? So grab this book. Um, it's killer. Um, great questions. Um, and some of you are even a community group. That's fantastic. Um, anyone can join a community group at any time because we just know life happens better in circles and not in these rows. Um, the conversations we get to have about what we really think. We've covered um, some really light topics so far, like God. <laughs> yeah, it was 20 minutes. It's legit. Last week was salvation. <laughs> no problem. You know, 20 minutes knocked it right out of the park. We understand everything about salvation. Well, today I want to talk about an invention. Um, A lot of you guys probably have your own list of like, what's the most uh, impactful, world-changing inventions of all time? So I went through, put together a small little list of things that I think are pretty rad, and uh, I want you guys to check them out. So in 35 BC, this is a long time ago, the wheel was invented. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. The wheel was not used first for like transportation. It was actually invented first uh, for pottery, um, to to, uh, have a a spinning wheel to make pottery. It wasn't until 300 years later, they're like, wait, we could ride on this thing. Um, And then you actually have all the way back to like 2000 BC, there's actually the first pictures that were drawn of uh, wheels on chariots. So the wheel, it's pretty legit. You probably got here today on a wheel. Congratulations. (laughs) 3400 BC, the nail, the nail was invented, right? For those of you who are screw enthusiasts, the screw is actually before the nail, Um, but we figured out how to shape uh, metal um, to create a nail, Uh, and a lot of you guys left someplace today 
that nails were holding it up. Congratulations. <laughs> Changed your world. Um, and somewhere between 300 and 200 BC, the compass was invented. Uh, the Chinese figured out uh, how to use magnetic, this magnetic force. Um, and weren't just reliant on stars, and especially in the daytime or just the sun. Um, but the compass was invented, and that's a picture of what the compass originally was looking like. Uh, in 100 um, BC, paper, as more formally we know it uh, nowadays, was created. Um, we weren't just drawn on rock and walls and leaves, um, but um, paper. Uh, in 1879, we're using them in here today, right now, the light bulb was invented. Uh, a lot of you enjoy that. Um, so congratulations for taking advantage of that. Uh, in 1763 to 1775, somewhere in there, the steam engine was created, um, which was that form of UPS back then. Um, <laughs> what can steam do for you? I don't know what their slogan was, but that's how we transported things, got them from here to there, and then combustion engines, etc. Um, in 1876, the phone. How many of y'all have a phone on you right now? Which, let me see your hands. Seriously, like half of you don't even have a phone on you right now? You're in church. You're lying. <laughs> Jeez Louise. By the way, it's a good opportunity to turn it quiet. Uh, first phone. Uh, so it was a little different than the phones that we have today, but uh, here's actually what we're more used to seeing. And I want to know, who in the room's got one of those big bricks? Yeah. For reals, who still has one of those? Yes, a handful of you. Man, let's, let's go. Let's, I want to hang out. I just want to hold it. I just want to see what it feels like. I, I came into the picture around here or like, I don't know if some of you remember, like you actually had to carry like a suitcase <laughs> with a phone. You'd be walking around in your suitcase, right? That was legit. You always look for the cars with the antennas, and you're like, those are some rich people. (laughs) They got an antenna on their car, and it's not a CB radio. It's a phone. Yeah, it's a real deal. Now we got smartphones that are too smart for half of us. We can't even figure out how to use it. Hanging out with the millennials. How do you use this phone thing? People don't even talk to me anymore. It just dings, and I read. Um, 1903, the airplane, right? Uh, The airplane came. Many of you have flown all over the world, seen things we've never been able to see before because of the airplane. 1960 was actually where the start of the internet came through, and it was through um, the State Department of Defense. And then later on in the 1990s, um, we got the World Wide Web as we now formally known it. I loved this little picture, Life Before the Internet. It shows a picture of a library, and it was like it used to be a library. Now it's a Google. Um, <laughs> The uh, park, that's a great one. The park used to be uh, like Facebook, but now it's like Facebook. That's like where you used to do Facebook was the park. Hey, how are you doing? I like what you're doing. You look great. (laughs) Bookstore, now it's Amazon. Movie theater, now it's eBay. And then these things called shopping centers, uh, they're now called eBay. We don't even know what those look like anymore. We get to do that. So that's pretty cool. The internet's pretty rad. But here's one of the ones that I think was the most impactful, what I want to talk about a little bit today. In the 1400s, mid-1400s, right around um, 1440-ish, was the invention of the printing press. Uh, The first time we got to print stuff on a regular basis, which is how we get many of the books that we have today, uh, the articles. Um, And so that was a game changer. And uh, the topic for today was actually something that changed the game when it has to do with this book. And that book is called The Bible. So... 
In 20 minutes, we're going to tackle the whole thing from beginning to end. You're going to be more knowledgeable about the Bible today than you ever even wanted to be. Um, so let's just get after it. So I actually brought some of, I'm a, I'm a Bible enthusiast or just a collector, call it what you want to call it. I collect old Bibles. I think they're really cool. I love uh, just, the, that, just the history behind it. So this is my oldest Bible that I personally own um, that's in really good shape. It is from 1775. <clears throat> yeah, it's uh, 292 years old. Uh, it's in good condition. This is the coolest thing, and this is what we're going to talk about today. I could pick out your favorite verse in here, and it open it up and uh, look at it, and it's going to say the same thing that your brand new Bible says. It's pretty legit. Yeah, that's kind of where we're going with it. Um, I'll let you, some of you, if you want to, afterwards look at it. <clears throat> Check it out. Um, this, is, um, this was a bit more traditional. This is a family Bible, um, and people would record history, marriages, births, deaths, all that stuff. Some of you guys maybe have one of these in your family. This one's from 1844. I have all kinds of cool ones of those. They're bigger. They're more ornate. They have really pretty pictures. I'll show you one of those. It's kind of cool from the 1800s. It still even has a little paper to protect it, um, but it's full of images like this, just good art biblical history, etc. And it smells awesome. I don't know what it is about those old books, but they smell great. So the printing press really gave us the Bible as we know today, because before that, um, scripture in the Bible, um, when it was first started, was really uh, done through uh, orality or oral tradition, passing things down. It would take tradition, uh, years, generations to pass things like scripture down and these stories of what had happened. And then um, much of it was turned into song, uh, like some of the songs we sing today. That's how we continue to teach uh, the next generation or the people around us um, about scripture and the stories of who God was. Um, And then came the printing press, and we were able to mass produce this into thousands of different languages. Um, And I just want to paint you uh, a couple of beautiful pictures. One, um, I want to knock down some of the uneasiness about the Bible um, that might get you interested. I know a common conversation to have with people is like, man, I mean, the Bible's cool and stuff, but I just don't like to read, right? And I just don't understand it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I want to break down some of those barriers that'll kind of help you where to go, um, maybe to appreciate it some more and how really where to, where to dive in. I also want to talk to those of you in the room um, who maybe have left the church. Maybe you know someone who's left the church. Um, because there was a misunderstanding of the Bible, or even this, someone um, worshipped the Bible and cared more about the Bible than they cared about the person um, and what was going on in their life. And um, so I want to create some kind of big pictures. I'm also going to be kind of a professor today, just give you some educational tools so the millennials in the room, you're going to eat this up. I'm going I'm to show you the facts, car facts, uh, about some of this stuff. Um, Google's going to be your friend. version is a great friend. It's a free app. Um, and that's some of the beautiful things we talked about. So first I want to break down the Bible into these three areas. This is really where it breaks down to. The first part of the Bible is broken up in what I call intention, right? God's intention. Um, his intention for the people. This is where we see relationships in the Garden of Eden. What does intention of life look like? Um, the earth looked like, um, in our relationship with God and what he wanted to see happen. The next kind of act we see in the Bible is distortion, which is based around the fall, free will, 
And we continually see a people group in, uh, in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, the Israelites, um, kind of just trying to figure themselves out without God and God continually chasing them in this distortion of like, we can do this on our own and what should we do and let's make kings and let's worship this and maybe that'll work. And that's where we see like a, a lot of polytheism kind of trying to take place again and um, God's kind of trying to folk things down to monotheism, which is just one God, hey, it's me, I'm chasing you. This isn't the way it was created um, without relationships. Um, and so you see this distortion. And the final act you see uh, in the scope and sequence throughout the entire Bible is restoration. And restoration we get to see, and really specifically in the New Testament, is where God redeems everything through his son. Everything, literally. He says, you know what, I'm done playing this game. The things that we used to do, I need it, I want it so bad, and this was my intention so much that restoration's going to be redeemed through everything through my son. Um, and um, in those three acts, some of you have, you've walked away from the Bible or you've known someone who has because of the weight that Christianity puts on the Bible. There's, this, there's been this, um, maybe you've been in this house that there's been this all or nothing attitude when it comes to the Bible and you've struggled with that. You know, there's um, this old words, maybe you've heard it before, if the Bible says it, that nobody. Okay, good. Well, there is this saying um, that if the Bible says it, that settles it. Um, there's no conversation about it. It's what it is. And some of you really struggle with that. And you're like, but I'm trying to wrap my head around this. Um, and we miss out on them and throw some big words out there. But we miss out on like the cultural context. We miss out on the theological context uh, and kind of what was going on, what was happening to truly understand what's going on. And that has been really difficult for a handful of you or some of your friends um, that you know that have walked away and left the church because the weight of Christianity that's put on this, this all or nothing. Like, hey, it is all 100% literal and true and factual for this day and age. That's a big old weight. Or none of it's true. And so you felt like that, that that's what it was, and so you threw it off to the side. And I want to help debunk that a bit. The thing is, is that Christianity does not exist because of the Bible. It doesn't. Christianity does not exist because of the Bible. In the same way that you do not exist because of your birth certificate, right? Just because you have a birth certificate, that's not why you exist. It's a recording of your existence here. In the same way, Christianity does not exist. The New Testament documents specifically uh, are documenting something that happened uh, very clearly over and over again through eyewitness and testimony the Bible exists, this is why, the Bible exists because of Christianity. And that's the coolest, most beautiful thing about this book. So uh, I'm going to run through a bunch of timelines so you can really grasp like, hey, well, how did we come up with this? What do some of these words mean? I'm going to like, seriously, I'm dabbling in the deep end, but I am not, I mean, I'm just toe tapping it. Um, and maybe that'll enlighten some of you to do some of your own research and dive deep and be like, oh, wow, there's like some actual like structure in here. I can like dive down. And that's why you'll hear people say like, man, this is so deep. They can study the same thing and continue to go these deeper levels. So uh, to start with this, what's the Bible made up of and kind of how the timeline came along? Um, is first, um, 
this whole thing in the Old Testament was starting to be written around 1600 to 1300 BC, which stands for before Christ. This is a newer calendar system to us. It wasn't until much later on that we decided to kind of live within this calendar system. In this calendar system, when everyone kind of got together in the 580s-ish and decided we were going to do this, couldn't really like land on when zero was, which stands for then AD after that, which meant after death. So this is before um, Christ, then we have after death uh, or after um, Christ, not ACDC, it's ABC, AD. Okay, so there's just, I don't know if <laughs> some people were confused. Okay. <clears throat> Moses. Moses writes this first part, it's called the Pentateuch, or um, some of you have heard it be called the Torah, right? And uh, Pen stands for five. So this is the first five books of the Bible, which specifically then is referred to as the law. Um, back in uh, early days, or even um, the, the people who actually follow still Jewish culture today, or are part of a temple, work very hard at studying and then memorizing, especially with little boys, at memorizing most of their life the entire Torah, that very, those first five books, and to understand it, to know everything about it. It gave them massive explanation of what's going on. This is where we focused. It's settled. This is what um, kind of what God looks like. This is his redemptive story. This is him um, birthing things through a people group that he decided, the Israelites, and we all stem from this. Um, so you have that. Uh, and I'm going to kind of jump through this. Um, then you have captivity, and this is kind of where the Israelites kind of get all, and the Jews get all kind of spread up and go everywhere. Uh, then you have stories in the Bible that are written through that, through major prophets and minor prophets. Uh, the Tanaka, um, this, this is throughout the Torah. This is like kind of another set or group and structure of these first books, which is how it was written. Um, and then I'm going to jump over to A.D. The, then you have where we now get into the New Testament. And this is the ministry of Jesus Christ. I put down 33 A.D. there just because it makes sense to you guys. It's probably in reality, probably more around 30 A.D. Like I said, there's a couple year variance. But somewhere in there was the, the life of Jesus, right, which was documented. And then it got documented by a handful of people. Um, between the theologians, say, between 50 and 90 um, and there's some discrepancy in this when it kind of happens, and we can figure that out because this was um, some historical and cultural writings of that time. In fact, the gospel writer of Luke's and then also historical writer of the beginning of the church with Acts um, was basically saying, fact-checked me, fact-checked me, fact-checked me by, by mentioning specific places, people, and times um, so that way we can understand that that is when this happened. <clears throat> so that's kind of where we get that from. So first, um, you have in this section, in the New Testament, you have the Pauline epistles. Uh, this is Paul, who write many of these to individuals and to the churches uh, in the New Testament. Um, he wrote the majority of the New Testament through these letters to the churches because he was the giant church planter. He was the one taking it out into the world and to the Asian providence. Um, then you have the general uh, epistles, which is from uh, letters from some of the gospel writers. Um, and uh, so you get to see those. You have the gospels, um, which is the first four books of the New Testament. Uh, and the gospels were written much later after Jesus' death. Um, the Mark was the first one, and it actually has this word called the Q. It's considered the Q, which everything kind of flies off of that. Hang with me. This is why I said you got to pay attention. Um, and the Gospels are recording the life of Christ, right? 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're recording what happened in the life of Christ, who Jesus was, what he said, what took place, and what that looked like. Then you have Revelations, which was written by John or John the Elder um, in that school of prophecy. So that makes up the Bible. So good luck, and we'll see you later. (coughs) Um, Then what happens is, okay, so that kind of makes up. This is all these years that it makes up. Um, If I was just going to stop there, what you just saw, this is the cool part. The Bible was written over a period of 1,600 years. Just like sit in that for a second. 1,600 years in this ancient literature, right, to come up with and say all these things. This is where it really gets so beautiful how God breathed in through and how the Holy Spirit was through people and putting down God's word on paper. So then what we do is um, we have a whole bunch of different councils. There's some Catholic councils uh, to decide kind of what's going on in that area. There's some Protestant ones, etc. Um, and so I've kind of labeled some of the more historic ones. Um, and what they're doing is they're finishing and discussing kind of finite details of the canonization or the canon. So canon is something that means rule or the rule or kind of the decided piece of this is the measure in which is going to be God's word in the Bible. So early on, it was decided, this is Holy Scripture, this is Scripture, this is God's Word, this is the life of Christ. So they canonized it, and then there was just particulars and conversations about it. And why did that happen? It happened with a faith community over a long period of time. And what they got was thousands of documents that said the same thing. Now, remember, a lot of this was oral tradition, but some of it was written. And so an example of what would happen and how we have so many manuscripts that tell us the same thing, which is really a beautiful piece of this story, is someone would get a letter and they would read it. That's to an individual, the church or gospel, the life of Christ. They'd be like, wow, this is great. And they would look at it and be like, Paul, hold on one second. Can you just sit there for eight hours while I make a copy? And then they would copy it. No joke. That's what they would do. That's how we have so many uh, translations. And they would make a copy of it And this was so good. This was so true and so real. It was rocking everyone's world that God himself was a part of this. That copy just kept getting made and passed around of this stuff. And the beautiful thing is that these copies are all very similar to each other, um, which is where we get this canonization and even the Bibles that you get today. And they have cool little footnotes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't want to dive down too far deep in the hole because I'm going to lose all of you. So come back to me. All right. So these guys are all doing these councils, making these other decisions. Council, 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 really good. You can read it all. Some of you can't even read that. <laughs> can't pronounce that word. Uh, next one. So then uh, to some stuff that will make sense to you and just some highlights. The Tyndale Bible in 1522 um, is when we got our first English translated Bible. It used to be in Latin and Greek and Hebrew. So this is the first time that it's been translated now into the English language from the original Greek and uh, Hebrew tongue. Um, then we go through some more councils, a lot of Catholic stuff. Then we finally end right here, and this is where I kind of end your timeline. And again, this is all here, so you can do massive your own research through version. You can read all these different styles of Bibles, etc. Um, and we get the King James Bible. How many of you guys ever heard of the King James Bible? A bunch of you, yeah. Some of you believe that's the only true and, true and real Bible. It's not King James. It's not real. <clears throat> That's how God talks, dang it. So that just shows you how culturally relevant 
these different pieces are. And then we have tons of different versions through there. So now I want to give you like a big overview synopsis of this stuff. First thing, some of you guys may not even know what testament means. So you have the Old Testament and the New Testament, which I referred to a handful of times. Testament, that word means covenant, okay? The Old Testament is full of covenants God continued to make with his people of Israel as he changed him. The New Testament is this new covenant God gave us through his son, Jesus. That's what that's focused on, those two pieces um, of this testament. And what we see is the story of God chasing his people, like I said, from attention through distortion, working towards redemption. And um, uh, it's uh, chopped up into little sections and why um, many of you guys have struggled with, and I've heard people say this before, like, wow, I'm going to dig in, I'm going to learn about who God is, and I'm going to read the Bible, and I'm going to read it from cover to cover, and I'm going to do a year reading plan. And you all start it, and you never finish it because you're just like, what? happened. And this is why. Because you get through Genesis and you're like, wow, this is really cool. Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat. I saw a Broadway show. It's like totally in there. I didn't know they didn't write that. <clears throat> then you get through the Exodus and you're like, whoa, this is super crazy. The promised land and milk and honey and it's all awesome. Then you get to this book called Leviticus. <laughs> and you slowly just push that away. Like, what happened? <laughs> and then Deuteronomy. And then Numbers, because it's cool again, it picks back up. So this is the deal. Why does it happen like that? The reason we struggle with this is because the Bible's not written in chronological order. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you right now. If you want to experience the Bible in chronological order, which most times we like reading narratives like that, um, go on to version, go on to the internet. There's a bunch of fantastic plans out there that you can get for free on your smartphone. Remember that thing? That's one thing you can use for the Bible for free. And a plan that'll read it through chronologically where you're going to start in Genesis. You're going to get a little bit into Genesis and Job is going to pop in because that's where he fits in. And then Genesis is back in. Then Leviticus pops in because that's where the laws kind of come into this people. And it's going to make much more sense. And you'll get to see this chronological timeline of God chasing these people as they work through distortion. Cool. There's a little nugget for you to use there. Um, But here's kind of uh, another piece of how it's broken into. Genesis through Esther in the Old Testament is primary historical, if you want to grab onto it that way. Uh, Job through Song of Solomon is poetry. Um, For those of you who have never read it and you just want to start somewhere really crazy, start in Song of Solomon. (laughs) Talk to me next week and you'll know why. Um, Isaiah, some of you are interested. Um, Isaiah through Malachi is prophecy. Now, likewise, the same sort of pattern takes place in the New Testament. And so Matthew through Acts is historical. Romans through Jude are letters to the churches or individuals. And Revelation is prophecy. So what do I want to end with is this. I know we're just barely tapping into it. The first thing I want to end with is this. If you're interested and you're like, wow, this is kind of stirring my interest. I'm understanding some things I never understood. Maybe I'm not afraid of this thing and I want to like grasp this better um, and have a small group conversation we offer a class called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, um, which goes into much more depth. It's a fantastic book if you just want to get the book on Amazon, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. Or you can go to the Northgate U, uh, table and they'll put you on a queue to get a class going um, for those of you who want it. The, ne- the next thing I want you to know is this. Let me give you just the theology of the Bible in the plainest, simplest way that I can as you read and you understand this ancient book that God breathed out through people to reveal his story and who he is in the smallest way. And it's this. 
There is nothing so dead in your life that he cannot resurrect. There is nothing so broken in your life that he cannot mend. And there is nothing so lost in your life that he cannot find it again. That's God's story. And that in this overview is what you see the beauty come out through the Bible. There's nothing so dead. Some of you in here maybe feel that way. Some of you have felt that way, which is where you found God and Jesus for the first time. Some of you in here today might feel that way. You're feeling so dead. You don't know if your life will ever be resurrected again. You're feeling so broken. You don't know if anything can mend it. And you're feeling so lost. You don't know if you'll ever be found. Through song, much of God's story is told. I don't know if you were paying attention um, or as close attention. Earlier we sang a new song called So Will I. I want to read to you. Uh, as, a, as some of it, um, it's beautiful. Uh, to me, it tells the story of the Bible <laughs> from beginning to end, how he created things, uh, that a hundred billion creatures caught your breath, that a hundred billion galaxies were born at, the, at your word. Um, and then as it continues kind of through this whole, the, the whole scope, the ethos of God's big story that we're still a part of, <laughs> this isn't done says, as you speak, a hundred billion failures disappear. <laughs> That's unreal. That God loved us so much, we get to see this story that he speaks and a hundred billion failures disappear. Where you lost your life so I could find it here. If you left the grave behind you, so will I. That's that story of redemption. Like, hey, there's that dead in you that's going to be resurrected. You need to leave that stuff back where it belongs in the past. I can see your heart in everything that you've done. Every part designed in a work of art called love. If you gladly chose surrender, God help me, because so will I. We struggle with that one. Help me surrender. I can see your heart eight billion different ways. Every precious one, a child, you died to save. You died to save. If you gave your life to the one you love, if you gave your life to love them, so will I. Like you would again a hundred billion times, and over again, but what measure could amount to your desire? You're the one who never leaves the one behind. Leave that up there. Friends, you're the one, the one will never leave behind. Some of you are in here today, and you need to understand that theology of God, the Bible, comes down to this. It's super simple. With all of the details and the professor, Larry, that just happened, there's nothing so dead in your life that God can't resurrect it. There's nothing so broken in your life that God can't mend it. And there's nothing so lost in your life that he can't find it. So would you pray with me? God, thank you 
for your story of intention of what you wanted from the first place, that we were created for purpose, which was to be in a relationship, in a relationship with you. God, thank you for just your patience as we just have dealt with and continue to deal with distortion. Try to figure it out ourselves and wrestle through it and beat ourselves up through it. But God, we cannot thank you enough that you choose not to leave the one behind. God, thank you for your redemptive powers. Thank you for your resurrection in our life. Thank you for mending our brokenness and thank you for finding what is so lost in us. May we go in boldness. May we go in peace and joy and comfort like maybe some of us have never had before. And may we go in power to proclaim your word as it moves and continues to move throughout history and our local community. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, there's some of you in here today, and I believe it. If you're here today and you're saying, gosh, I feel dead. <laughs> That's me. I feel broken or I feel lost. Today, right now, you can allow God to do that work in your life. You can allow him to start that resurrecting moment in your life. You can allow him to begin to do that mending work in your life. You can begin to allow him to do that finding that needs to happen in your life. And if that's you, today is where you start. We're going to have people that are going to have green lanyards. They're going to be praying with you. They're going to be on the front row up here. you got 10 minutes. For the next 10 minutes, they're just going to be hanging out here. If that's you and you're ready to make that transformation, ready to start that journey and see what that looks like, come up here and hang out. So if you're in the front row right now and that's not going to be you, you might want to get out of the way Um, because otherwise somebody's going to sit with you and they're going to help you and it's going to be awesome. Um, So make make your way up. You don't have to swim upstream. You got 10 minutes to make your way up there. We would love to have a conversation about what God's work in your life today could look like for your eternity um, and uh, this community. Um, And make sure you grab your book on the way out. Uh, If you're new or if you're getting one for somebody else, you're doing them a favor. Would you stand? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.